Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. I would invite you to take your copies of the scriptures this morning and open to the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, the very first chapter. Reminded that there uh, is a famine in our land, uh, a famine of hearing God's word. We are those who love God and love his word, and that his word would feed us. And we're thankful that it does feed us and it satisfies us completely. It feeds us full. And that we have the privilege and the joy of being able to read God's word, hear from God himself, that this is his revelation to us of who he is, of what he is like, how we can know him, how he loves us through his son, Jesus Christ. Right now, as we go through Advent, we're talking about going from Christmas chaos to Christmas cosmos. Christmas chaos, disorder, frantic, worry, busyness, to Christmas cosmos, perfect order, peace, and rest. That's what we desire, and that's why Jesus Christ has come, to take the world out of It's chaos, out of its disorder, out of its brokenness, out of its sin, and make everything right again. Because you know it and I know it, don't we? Let's not pretend. The world is broken. The world has problems. You experience it every day. I experience it every day. There's no denying it. There's something wrong with the world. That is why Jesus Christ has come. To say everything that's wrong, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to make it right again. I'm going to make it whole again. That's how we find wholeness and fullness of life is in Jesus Christ. 
something you feel in your life is missing, it cannot be, it must not be that key component. And what's beautiful is that, that the thing in our lives that makes us whole, that makes us complete, is a person. It's not six steps that I have to take. It's a personal God who loved me and who gave himself for me. And so all of our attention then this morning, as it should every Sunday morning and every day, is rightly drawn to Jesus Christ. Last week we talked about Jesus as the Word of God. Let's hear from God's Word this morning in the Gospel of John, verse 1, beginning in verse 4. If you would stand with me as we read God's Word out of reverence and respect for this beautiful Word that He's given to us. Let's read together John 1, beginning in verse 4 through verse 13. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Give us ears, O Lord, to hear what your Spirit would say to us through this word, in this church, and in our lives. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Let there be light. Immediately after hearing that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, after hearing that the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep, after hearing that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, we hear for the very first time God speak. This one true God, this sovereign God, this creator God, this almighty, infinite, and eternal God speaks. He has something to say. And when he speaks, things happen. By the word of his mouth, he calls into existence things that do not exist. And it's here with the very first words 
that we hear directly from the mouth of God that God speaks into the darkness. He speaks into the void. He speaks into the vacuous pitch blackness. He speaks into the chaos and starts with what is the very first thing this formless earth needed in order to be inhabitable. In order for there to be life, there needed to be light. Anytime that God speaks, it should get our attention. He has spoken to us through his word, the Bible. And while we know that someone's very last words are important, we should also see how the very first words that God speaks are also important. He could have said anything in the beginning, anything that he wanted to say at all. Yet in his perfection, and according to his plan, he says the very first thing that you need to hear me say is this, let there be light. And when he said it, there was light. Genesis 1-4 says, and God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God says what is most necessary is to separate the light from the darkness. He draws our attention to the light. He places priority number one on driving back the darkness with light. And here is one act which comes through the very first words we hear God speak. What God does in just these first few verses of the Bible is really the whole story of the Bible. What is God going to do from Genesis to Revelation? What's he going to do from beginning to end? He is going to drive back the darkness. He is going to remove the darkness. He is going to extinguish, eradicate the darkness once and for all in a new heaven and a new earth. In fact, when you get to the very end of the Bible, listen to what it says. This is in a new heaven and a new earth where God's people are dwelling with God forever in eternity. It says, night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. Why? For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever. That's Revelation 22.5. You can look it up just to check me, make sure I'm telling you the truth. This is from the beginning to the end. God's removing the darkness. He's driving back the darkness. He's extinguishing the darkness. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself going to the very end. If this idea of removing the darkness is the vein that courses through the whole story of the Bible, then what would you expect when we get to the account of the coming of Jesus Christ? What would we expect when we reach the climax of human history with the birth of the Son of God? What would we expect with the incarnation, the Word becoming flesh? 
He has something to do with removing the darkness. In fact, he is the key to removing the darkness. Removing the darkness cannot be done and will not be done without the birth of Jesus Christ. Why were the shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night? What do you tell your kids or grandkids when they would ask you that question? Why were the shepherds out in the field at night? Why does it say that? What's the answer that you would tell them? Because that was the world. God's giving us a picture. This is what the world is like. It's, it's, it's enveloped in darkness. Here are the shepherds sitting out in the field in darkness. And what happens? The glory of the Lord shone around them with a brilliant and radiant light. And they are terrified because they know this is no ordinary light. This is God's light. Christmas story is exciting. (laughs) I don't have to make it exciting. It just is. Read it. (laughs) Jesus has something to do with removing the darkness. And so let me give you a brief outline here. This isn't the outline in your bulletin. This is a different outline. But a brief outline of just John 1 through 18. General outline of what's going on. The general outline of John 1 through 18 is this. Creation, fall, redemption, new creation. The outline of John 1, 1 through 18 is creation, fall, redemption, new creation. And in fact, that's the whole outline of the Bible, is it not? What is John doing here? He's saying, I'm going to give you a little microcosm of what the whole Bible is about in these 18 verses. I'm going to sum it up for you. And last week we saw creation and new creation. We saw the bookends of that structure, of this storyline. And now as we come to John 4, uh, John 1, 4 through 13, we see the middle part of that outline. We see fall and redemption. And it's in these that we see that Jesus is the light. So what does Jesus do? as the light. Well, number one this morning, Jesus as the light illuminates the darkness. Jesus as the light illuminates the darkness. This isn't rocket science. (laughs) Jesus as the light illuminates the darkness. When we begin with Jesus' ministry back in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew quotes an Old Testament book of Isaiah. And he says that Jesus fulfills this prophecy. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death on them has light dawned. That's what Matthew says Jesus was doing. When Jesus was ministering, when Jesus came, this is what was happening. There were people who were dwelling in darkness. And guess what? When Jesus came, they saw a great light. 
They were dwelling, it says, in the shadow of death. But what happened when Jesus came? Light dawned upon them. Luke, in his gospel, records at the end of chapter 1 the prophecy of John the Baptist's father. His name was Zechariah, where he talks about this sunrise from on high who will give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. These remind us of what we've already heard from Isaiah 9 this morning. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. It also reminds us of other places in the Old Testament like Isaiah 42.7 where it says that the promised Messiah would open the eyes of the blind, that he would bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. Or Psalm 107 verses 10 and 11 that say, Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. With all of these verses, we hear this tension. A tension that exists between light and darkness. The problem with the world is darkness. And darkness, after the sin and fall of mankind in Genesis chapter 3, becomes synonymous with death. You hear it in these verses that I just read. Darkness is the shadow of death. It is these that refer to chaos in its more terrible and frightening form, like a dungeon that has captured all of mankind. It is the curse of sin and the curse of death that covers the whole world. If darkness is synonymous with death, we can understand what John says here now in verse 3 of John 1. In Him, that's in the Word, in Jesus Christ, was life, and the life was the light of men. Here now in Jesus, life and light are synonymous. This is the life, the eternal life that John goes on to talk about in the rest of his gospel. The eternal life that mankind is in need of, that each of us needs this eternal life. Life and light is embodied in Jesus Christ. It's light that comes from the person of Jesus Christ. And here, John is alluding actually to another verse in Psalm 36, 9, which says, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. We know that Jesus is the light of the world because he says so explicitly in John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. God coming into the world. This is what Jesus says. I am. I am God. I am divine. I am the light of the world. I have come into this world. I have come into darkness. I have come into death. I have come into destruction. And I have come to give life. This is what Jesus does. He comes into the world to bring people to life. 
to give people life. No light, no life. And Jesus is not just any light. He is the divine light. The only light that is able to give life. The only life the only light that is able to raise the dead to life. This is the light and life that we need. And what does the light do? It does what the light should always do. It shines in the darkness. The light has come into this world, this world of complete darkness. Darkness because of sin. Darkness because of death. A world shrouded in darkness because Adam and Eve sinned against God in the Garden of Eden. That's the reason why this world is enveloped in darkness because Adam sinned. And so because we by nature are in Adam, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We were those living in darkness. We were those under the shadow of death that was until the light of Christ shined upon us. Jesus says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. It's John 12, 46. I love how he says that. Believe in me so that you may no longer remain, abide, or dwell in darkness. But what does Jesus really say? He's saying, now I want you to abide, dwell, and remain in me. The good news is that the light shines in the darkness, but that is not all. The darkness has not overcome the light. The darkness cannot overcome the light. The darkness cannot extinguish the light. It's not the darkness that pierces the light. It's the light that pierces the darkness. Darkness is weak. Darkness is powerless. Darkness is ignorant. This is the idea behind darkness cannot comprehend it or overcome it. Darkness cannot wrap its mind around the greatness of this light. Darkness cannot plumb the depths of light. It cannot expose the light. It has no authority over the light. Instead, what? Light has authority over the darkness. Darkness doesn't command the light. Darkness doesn't call the shots. The light calls the shots. The light is so much greater, so superior, that the darkness cannot understand it, let alone overcome it. But do we ever give too much credit to the darkness? Do we ever think the darkness is more powerful than it really is? Does our wrong thinking ever make us doubt? Question, make us begin to wring our hands with worry. I don't know, maybe the darkness will win. No way. The darkness will never overcome the light of Jesus Christ. But there is another problem that we face in this world, and it's what John goes on to say in John chapter 3. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than 
the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. When the light shines, it exposes everything. And what does the light's judgment show? It shows that there are some people who loved darkness rather than the light. There are some people like cockroaches. You ever seen a cockroach? We used to live in Texas for four years. And it's not a question of if you have cockroaches in your house, it's just where and when you might see them. You know what happens when you walk into a dark room and you flip on a light and there's a cockroach in the middle of it? What does that cockroach do? scurries away to find the darkest corner it can. Men in our fallen state, mankind, us, people, everyone, it's not true that we have an affinity for the light. In fact, I say that all of us in our fallen nature, left to ourselves, have an affinity to run away from the light. There are those who would rather remain in darkness. There were those who would love the darkness rather than the light. In fact, John says that they even hate the light. They do not come to the light, but they love the darkness. And so they want to remain in the shadow of death, cut off from God, enemies of Christ. And so we should not be surprised that there are some who love darkness. But we do not want people to stay in darkness. We do not want people to love darkness. We want people to love the light. We want people to love life. We want them to come to the light. We want them to say, this is where true life is. It's lived in the light. It's not lived in the darkness. It's not lived under the shadow of death. It's not lived in the curse of sin. It's not lived in hopelessness. It's lived in the hope of life and light in Jesus Christ. We want people to hear those words that God spoke at the very beginning. We want people to hear, let there be light. And we want people to hear that in their own hearts and in their own lives, just like it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. It says this, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Brother and sister Christian, when we are saved, this is our experience. God says, there's darkness, but then he says, let there be light. And when God speaks, things happen. When God speaks, there's light, and there's life, and there's the knowledge of the glory of of God. Let me tell you something. There's no greater knowledge that you could ever desire than the knowledge of the glory of God. That is the knowledge that we want. That's the knowledge that we desire. 
We want to know the glory of God. Not just know about it intellectually, but have this relationship with it. We, we know, we have a knowledge of the glory of God. We know it intimately, personally, because we've seen it. How have we seen it? How have you seen it, dear brother and sister? You've seen it in the face of Jesus Christ. You see it when you read about him in his word. You say it's undeniable. There it is, the glory of God. We are those who should come to the light, as John says, because God has created light and life in our life. Number two, Jesus as the light illuminates the need for a gospel witness. Jesus as the light illuminates the need for a gospel witness. We come to verses 6 through 8 here in John chapter 1. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the life that all might, a bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Here's a man who's distinguished from the word and the light. This is a different man. A man who was sent from God. That is, he is commissioned by God. He's given a specific purpose and specific role, endowed with authority as one sent from the sovereign God himself. It is clear his name is John. This is John the Baptist. He came as a forerunner to Christ. He came to pronounce the coming Messiah. We are told that his main focus was on being a witness. He was testifying about the light. He was telling people the truth about the light. It's very clear here that he is not the light. There is to be no confusion. John the Baptist came testifying about Jesus. He is telling others the Messiah was coming. He is not the Messiah himself. Why was he telling people about Jesus? Why was he telling people about the light? So that those people would believe through him. As a witness, John didn't point people to himself. John pointed people to Jesus Christ. In God's perfect plan, he had so designed that John would go before Jesus to bear witness, to testify to the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. You think about John's role there as a witness, and now we have a correlation from what God has called us to do. God has called us to be witnesses. Just as God designed to use John so that people would believe in Jesus through him, so now we are called to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. Listen to Acts 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We are those now called to point people to Jesus Christ. We are called to tell the truth about who he is and about what he has done and about why he has died on the cross and risen again from the dead. Are we faithfully, dear brother and sister, are we faithfully bearing witness to Jesus Christ? Are we testifying to other people about him? Are we telling them the good news of Jesus? 
believer, I want you to do a, let's try something together here for a moment. I want you to hold up in your mind right now something that's bothering you. What is that bee in your bonnet? What is that thing that's stuck in your craw? What is that problem that fills your view? What is it that weighs heavy on your heart and on your mind? What is that thought that acts like a squatter in your thoughts? It occupies some space in your thinking, but it's completely unwanted. I want you to take that problem and I want you to to put it on one side of a scale or a balance. How heavy does that problem feel? Now, I want to put something else before you for a moment. Another problem. It's the problem of those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. They do not know Christ. They do not honor Christ. They do not believe in Christ. They are enemies of Christ. They have no peace with God. They are trying desperately to claw their way through this life, trying to claw their way into something good, something that is satisfying, trying to find some God, but only ever relying on their own self. They remained imprisoned in their sin. They are blind, they are dead, they are lifeless with no God and with no hope in this world. And if their existence right now isn't miserable enough, they are destined for eternal torment, the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might, to be thrown away in the lake of fire where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the worm never dies and where the fire is never quenched. Now, place that problem on the other side of the scale. What happens to the scale? Which of those are my problems? Well, the problem of those who are lost and perishing eternally, which one's heavier? I pray that the weight and the burden of the lost would become so great in our hearts that it would give us holy desire, zealous devotion, and bold courage to be the faithful, spirit-empowered witnesses for Christ that we are called to be, and that it would shed light on all of the pettiness and selfishness and pride that can often be bound up with those temporal, earthbound problems so that they would all begin to melt away that we would be the witnesses that God has called us to be. Listen to what it says in Revelation 12. This is verses 10 and 11. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And here's the good news. And they have conquered him. Who is him? The accuser. We believers, we have conquered him 
How? By the blood of the Lamb, and what else? And by the word of their testimony. We were faithful witnesses. And God uses our faithful witness in this dark world to conquer the devil. Why? Why have we conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony? This is the reason. For they loved not their lives even unto death. That's huge, isn't it? <laughs> they loved not their lives even unto death. Why would we say things like, I want to preach the gospel, I want to preach the good news, I want to tell other people about Jesus until my dying breath? Because we know that even with our dying breath, it is not the end. Because we know that in the end, Jesus wins. And because we know that Jesus is ours, and we are his. We want other people to know the light, and we want other people to know Jesus. We want other people to embrace him, and love him, and live for him. And that's why John goes on to say, receive him, receive Jesus. This is the third Final point, Jesus as the light illuminates God's saving work of redemption. Jesus as the light illuminates God's saving word, work excuse me, of redemption. John says now that this is the true light in verse 9. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is the real, genuine, authentic light. I hate craft singles. You know why? It's not real cheese. I love real American cheddar. You've never heard of Tillamook cheese? That is some good cheese. Comes from Oregon. It's not like craft singles. Jesus is the true light. He is the real, genuine, authentic light. Just as he is the true bread from heaven, just as he is the true vine, just as his flesh is true food and his blood is true drink, just as he is the true light sent from the true God who is looking for true worshipers to worship him in spirit and truth, so this true light has come into the world which enlightens everyone. That is, it reveals to everyone who they truly are. The light exposes as it comes into the world. It enlightens everyone. It exposes everyone. It lays everyone bare and open. This light, Jesus Christ, was in the world. The world was made through him. He owns it all. He's over all. Yet, the world did not know him. It should have recognized him, the, the one who made it, the one who's made everything, the one whose fingers, fingerprints are everywhere. They should have known him, but they did not. He even came to his own. It says he even came to his own home. He even came to his own people. He came to those who should have recognized him, who should have said, ah, yes, we've been waiting for you. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. You are the one who has been predicted. He came to his own people, but what? His own people did not even receive him. 
He came to the Jews. But instead of receiving him, they rejected him. Instead of believing in him, they belittle him. There is a ray of hope in verse 12. But all who did receive him, here, John opens up the floodgate. He came to specific people, the Jews. He came to his own. But they did not receive him. But what does it say now? But now all who receive him. Now it is any who receive him. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female. Now it's any and all who believe in his name, who believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus completely. Believe in all of who he is and all of what he has done. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and King and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what does the Bible say? You will be saved. We are those who trust in the death and resurrection of Christ where Christ paid the penalty of death for sin so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be set free, so that you could be redeemed and have peace with God. Have you received Jesus? We sing about this at this time of year. Let every heart prepare him room. Is there room in your heart for Jesus? In fact, when you know Jesus for who he really is, don't you say, I have plenty of room. Let me get things out of the way. Move it out of the way. My whole heart, everything that I am, Jesus, it's all yours. How do you know if you've received Jesus? You believe in his name. You trust in Him to save you from your sin. You trust in Him to give you peace and hope. You trust in Him for the love of God and for the grace of God and for the mercy of God. And it's this belief, this faith that takes place first before you are a child of God. Here is Jesus giving the gift of life that is to be received by faith and it is all of the benefits of Christ and of his saving grace that flow to the believer through the human response that we have of faith. And how does this new birth, how does this becoming a child of God happen? It says there, those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. How does that happen? John is very adamant here. How do I know he's adamant? He basically repeats the same thing three times with a little bit of variation. How does he tell us this new birth happens? Well, first he gives us three ways it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen by blood. That is, it's not a physical lineage. It's not done by the will of the flesh. The flesh stands for humanity as set opposite of God. And finally, it's not by the will of man. And this hits us wave after wave. No human agency is responsible for this birth, for this becoming a child of God. No man has done it. Man had no part in it. Didn't even have the desire to make it happen. John says, 
Becoming a child of God is all of God. It's all of God working in your heart and of your life. It's all of God calling you to himself. It's all of God giving you and lavishing his grace upon you. It's all of God removing that heart of stone out of your body and giving you a heart of flesh. God gives this new birth. God makes one born again by the renewal and regeneration that happens through his Holy Spirit. You cannot will yourself to be a child of God. No, only God can make you his child. And it's all of God, not of your own doing, not of my own doing. Why? Because then he gets all the glory. It's not me boasting in myself and saying, look what I've done. How great am I to become a child of God? No, it's saying, look at all that God has done in me, in my heart, and in my life to save me and draw me to himself. And here is some good news. If it is God's will for you to be a child of God, the good news is God's will doesn't change. <laughs> if it was your will, my will, how do I feel today? Do I want to be a child of God or not? How fickle I am. But if it's God's will, and God's will never changes, once you're in, you're always in. Once you're his child, you're always his child. Once you are his, you can never be cast out. Once you are his, no one, nothing can snatch you out of his hand. Is God's work, God's saving work of redemption that makes you his child. So that now, as children of God, we can walk as children of light. Listen to what it says in Ephesians 6 as we end. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become par partners with them, for at one time you were darkness. Listen to what Paul says. One time, believer, you were darkness. But now... Now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is even shameful to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Jesus Christ is the light. Is he the light that's shining on you? Is he the true light that you know in your life? Do you glory in this light And do you find security, comfort, hope in the light of life? Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Your holy word. Which always leads us into truth. And Father, we realize we need your truth. Because we can so easily be deceived. We can easily lose sight of what is true. So Father, we pray that you would lead us into truth, into light, and into life. Father, if there is anyone here this morning who has not yet received you, they would say, I'm one of those ones who's walking in darkness. They would say, my life feels like darkness all around me and closing in. Today, today may they see the light of Jesus Christ. May they say, I don't want the darkness anymore. I want light. I want life. And so may they believe in you. May they put their trust and faith in you. And Father, we know that those who come to you You will never turn away. You will never cast out. You call them to yourself. Come. Come, all who have nothing. Come to the waters and drink. Those who have no money, come. Have bread and eat. Come, you who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Father, those who would receive Jesus Christ would believe in his name. May they know your forgiveness of sin the guilt that might be weighing them down. May they look to Jesus Christ. May they look to the cross where Christ died, bearing the punishment for our sin. Saying, there, all of my sin, everything that I've done wrong, there was cast upon Him who's hanging upon that cross, who's paying the penalty, the punishment for the sin that I deserve. There, He's paying it all so that I may not have to pay the penalty so that I might be free, so that I might be forgiven. And thank you that Jesus not only died for our sins, but that he also rose again from the dead on the third day, showing that he made atonement for all of our sins, past, present, future. All of our sin is forgiven in his work so that now we can be at peace with you. Father, I pray that we would be at peace with you this week. Whatever we are going through, whatever difficulties and hardships, whatever suffering or trials, may your light bring comfort. May we be your faithful witnesses to the end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.